Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Today, we're starting a brand new series on relationships called It's Complicated. How many of you know relationships are complicated, right? They just are. Uh, I had you raise your hand for marriage. I had you raise your hand for engagement and dating relationships, but not just those types of relationships, friendships. Uh, are complicated. Work relationships are complicated. Uh, Sons and daughters, moms and dads, they're complicated. I remember when I was growing up, there being this season of time when I was very, very young, and I thought my parents were superheroes, right? And then I became a teenager, and I thought my parents were idiots, right? And then I became a little older, I became an adult, and I thought, no, they really were super. How are they so wise, and now there's times I'm like, what, what is my dad saying? I, I don't understand what my, you know, and I watch that same pattern in my kids. They're, they're, you know, I, I, there have been times in their lives that I was a low-level superhero. Like, I don't want to brag, but Kenley's sitting down here on the front row. We've got three teenage boys and Kenley. And Kenley, when, when she was much younger, you know, if she had to open anything, anything, she would yell out, strongest man. This jacket covers it up, but y'all don't know, you know. I could open anything, right? And so, you know, like that's who I was. I don't think that's who I am anymore now. I think she calls her one of her teenage brothers to open stuff. But, you know, like I just, we, we have these, but relationships are complicated. They just are. And they're complicated for a lot of reasons. But one of the primary reasons that relationships are complicated is because you have to communicate right? I mean, you've got flawed human beings trying to figure out how to live life together in some form. Again, dating, married, friendships, coworkers, whatever. And you have to communicate one with the other. And so how many of you played the game like telephone when you were in school? Like, you know, you would, you would sit at this like line of people or you'd stand on the playground or whatever and you would say a phrase into somebody's ear, and then they would say that phrase into somebody's ear, say that phrase. In, and the goal was that whatever was said at the beginning would be said at the end, that you would be able to pass that. How many of you had the friend that always just really intentionally changed what was said, right? Some of you, you were that person. Don't even lift your hand. Like, I know that was you. So like, you know, you would say it at the beginning. It'd be like, we're going to play baseball tonight. That was what you said. And like the third guy down would be like, we're having tacos tomorrow. You know, it's like, okay. I don't know why I always go to tacos, but I do. But like, you know, you just have people change it on purpose. Like, that's what happens in communication sometimes, is that we have to be able to continue to communicate well with one another. Now, we've talked about this before. Corey and I use this a lot. I read an article a number of years ago that said in any one-on-one conversation, so between two people, there are actually six personas in that relationship, in that communication doesn't mean you both have multiple personalities. It just means that like you're filtering it through a number of different things. So I'm going to give these to you. They'll be up on the screen individually so you can see the whole list at the end. And then maybe you can snap a picture. A lot of people have done that today because it might help you in your communication. As you are communicating, the first person in that communication is who you are. Like your most natural, down to your core like the person that you are most naturally, you take the mask off, you don't have to worry about what people think of you, it's just who you are, that's the person that's communicating. But the moment that it comes out of your mouth, it is now filtered through and heard through another person, which is who they think you are. They have a perception of who you are, and so as you've communicated something, they think about it based on what they think of you. They hear it a certain way based on how they think about you. Then the third person 
is who you think they think you are. This is like a who's on first kind of scenario, right? But it's like, I've said it out of my natural being. They have a perception of me, so that's part of the way they hear it. But I've also probably begun to shape the words to fit the persona that I think they have of me. If they think I'm somebody that's strong, then I might use words that speak to strength. But if they think that I am somebody that is vulnerable, I might use some words that have a little more vulnerability in them or, or convey that in some form. So now you've got who I am and who they think I who they think you are, and then they have who you think they think you are, right? And then you've got to flip the other side. Now it's who I am, right? So who you are started who I am now as I'm communicating back, and then who you think I am, and now who I think you think I am. There's six different filters, six different personas that are in all of these various conversations that we're trying to have as we communicate in relationships, and that's why it gets complicated. That's why it gets complicated as we try to communicate with one another. Now, one of the things that we want to do this year is we want to go deeper in God's Word. And so a lot of times when we come to this point in the message, what I'll do is I'll go to a specific text of Scripture, and I'll read that text, and then we'll unpack it. But I don't want to do that Today, I'm actually going to read a passage at the very end or a scripture at the very end. But what I want to do is I want to give you seven specific biblical complicated relationships. It's not going to take forever, right? The more you talk back, the shorter we go. You'll get to lunch on time. But seven biblical complicated relationships very, very quickly. I'll give you the, the reference in scripture. So if you want to go back and read them for yourselves later, you can. One of the first complicated relationships on the earth is found in Genesis chapter 4. Right near the beginning of the story of humanity, you got Cain and Abel, right? Brothers, how many of you have a sibling? You know. You got it, right? Cain and Abel offered sacrifice, gave an offering to God, and one of them was accepted and one of them was not. It's like, that's not your best. You're giving me your leftovers. And so what happened is Cain gets angry about that, and he kills his brother. Now, if you, hopefully you've never done that, okay? But if you've ever felt like your sibling was loved more than you, was accepted for more than you were accepted for, like was more gifted than you, like just if you've ever felt any kind of insecurity in that type of relationship, then you maybe can identify with a little bit of the complication that Cain felt against his brother Abel. There's this insecurity that, like, why, 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 is, why, why does he get to go to bed later? Why, why, did, why is his birthday party? I only got to invite eight people. He got to invite 10. I don't know. Like, why, why, does, why does he love? Like, there's just complication in relationships like this, and we find that in Genesis chapter 4. Then you move to Genesis chapter 20, and you find the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah are actually introduced earlier in the book of Genesis. God has this covenant promise with Abraham. He was called Abram at the beginning. And God promised him a people, you will have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. He promised him a place, the, 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 the land of Canaan, a promised land that flows with milk and honey. And he promised him this covenant promise that like, I will bless you and you will be a blessing and every person will bless you. Like there's this blessing promise. So there was a people, a place, and a promise. That's three Ps. That's good preaching, by the way. But he promised him those things. The challenge was that, like, how does that come to be? Because Abraham and Sarah were old. They're holding on, clinging to this promise from God that they're going to have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, and their family could fit on a moped at this point in the story. There's no children. 
There's no grandchildren. There's no multiplication of generations. And so Sarah decides, I'll give Abraham my maidservant and we'll just kind of fix this thing on our own. You want to talk about complicated. Now it gets complicated. Then Sarah gets jealous and wants them kicked out of the house and sent on their way. Then eventually they do have Isaac and Abraham tells his wife, Sarah, God's told me to kill our child. Now, I said this in the first service, and it's not in my notes, and I thought, I'm not going to say that the rest of the day, but I've already said it in both, so I'm going to say it to you. This sounds like a Lifetime movie. My parents wouldn't let me watch Lifetime after dinner because nothing good was on at that point, but like, this is what this sounds like, like a dark story with all kinds of distorted, I mean, it's just like, this is messed up. It is complicated. And that's happening here. One time Abraham and Sarah were traveling and they went to this, this town and Abraham told Sarah, if, if they know I'm your husband, they'll kill me. So let's tell them you're my sister. And they do. And then the king says like, what in the world? You're, you're bringing a curse on my house. Why did you lie? To, why did you tell me this? And like, it is complicated, right? Then you move on and you see, my bad. Then you move on and you see Genesis 25, Jacob and Esau. Two brothers, again, not all of these are sibling rivalry, but you see Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob stole his brother's birthright. He stole his brother's blessing. He tricks his father. He runs off and he, he meets who is going to be the love of his life and his father-in-law, his future father-in-law at this point, deceives him and gives him the older sister. He eventually gets the one he loves. Like, it's a mess. And eventually he's going to move back home. And so what he does is he sends all of his possessions and all of his family before him to go and meet his brother so that hopefully when Esau sees all this stuff and every one of those people says, oh, this is from your servant Jacob, he's behind us, that Esau won't kill Jacob when he gets there. And Esau gets there and he's like, what? Who's all these? who are all these people? What is all this stuff? And he's like, this is what God's blessed me with, which by the way, that's a slap in the face because God blessed Jacob because he stole the blessing from Esau. Esau's like, listen, God's blessed me too. I've got enough. It's okay. Let's just live here together. It was complicated. Genesis 47 is our reading plan for the day as we try to read the Bible through together. This year, we want hundreds of people in our church family to read the Bible through. So we've got our reading plan on our website. We've got the reading plan at the information center. Today, one of our passages is from Genesis 47, which is found in the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph starts in Genesis 37 into 38. It goes all the way to the end of Genesis 50. This is the story that Joseph is, is born. His father loves his mother, Joseph's mother. And so Joseph is the favorite. He gets the coat of many colors. His brothers are you know, doing work out in the field, and Joseph's just prancing around in his nice jacket. So his brothers decide, again, kind of sibling stuff, his brothers decide, let's kill him. Except one brother has a better idea and says, let's don't do that, let's sell him, right? Then we'll make something. So they sell him to this band of, of gypsies that are going off to a distant country. They take his jacket, they rip it, they dip it in animal blood, and they bring it back to his father and say, hey, your son Joseph that you love so much, he's dead. He goes to Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife lies about him. He gets put in prison. He helps two guys. One of them is restored to Pharaoh's palace. He forgets about him. Pharaoh raises him up. He leads. And eventually at the end of the story, he's standing in a room because his brothers are starving in their country. They come to his country because he's raised up all this food and his brothers need food and they have to beg their brother that they sold into slavery. It's complicated. And Joseph kicks everybody, all the servants out of the room and he starts crying and he said, what you intended for harm, God has turned for goodness. 
It is complicated. It's complicated relationships. David, we find in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says in the springtime when kings go off to war, where was David? Not at war. He was walking around at night on the top, the roof of his palace. He sees Bathsheba. He calls for her to come to the palace. He commits adultery with her. And to try to cover up his sin, he has her husband Uriah killed, right? To cover it up. The baby that is conceived in that union dies. They conceive another child after a period of mourning. It's Solomon. Solomon is raised up. He's the wisest, richest man to live. Later, David would have a son named Absalom who tried to steal the kingdom from him. Like he stood at the gate of the city, and when people would come into the city, Absalom would say like, hey, if I was in charge, here's what I would do for you. Like I I would be better to you than my father is. And he tries to steal the kingdom from his father. It is complicated. So then you get to the New Testament, and you think, well, surely Jesus had all great relationships, except that one of his closest friends betrays him. Judas decides that the relationship with Jesus is worth less than 30 pieces of silver, and so he gives that price to the religious leaders. They give it to him, and he betrays Christ, and Christ is arrested. If you've ever been in a relationship where you thought it meant the same to you as it meant to them, only to find out that they valued it far less than you did, you can identify with the Savior of the world who had a friend betray him. And you come to the book of Acts, where the apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, is doing incredible ministry. The church is exploding. It's multiplying. Thousands of people are being added to the family of God. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it seems like every day is doing supernatural things. And Paul is doing missionary work. And he and one of his closest companions in the ministry, a guy by the name of Barnabas, have a disagreement about the role that their friend Mark should play in the ministry. So much so that eventually Paul and Barnabas split up because Paul doesn't want to serve with Mark. If you've ever had a disagreement with coworkers about the direction of the company, the direction of the division, how we spend money, how we grow, how we scale, how we expand, you can understand what Paul and Barnabas were going through. There is division, misunderstanding, disagreement, because relationships are complicated. Aren't you thankful that the Bible speaks to complicated relationships? So here's the reality. Here's the truth for all of us. So often, the reason that relationships are so complicated is because we've all been hurt. We've all been hurt in relationships, and what we know is this. Hurt people hurt people. We give hurt because we've received hurt. Whether it's that intentional or not, we hurt people because we've been hurt. We put up our defenses, we put up our guards, and we receive hurt, so we give hurt because it feels like the only way to make it fair. And so hurt people hurt people. Here's here's the challenge for us, though. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're called to more than that. We're called to more than that because we've actually been forgiven of much, so we should forgive much. Because forgiven people forgive people. We should live contrary to culture. We should do the things that seem so countercultural, counterintuitive. And we should forgive people because we've been forgiven. We shouldn't just hurt Because we've been hurt, we should say, yeah, I've been hurt, but I've probably been guilty of doing that too. And so I'm going to forgive because I have been forgiven. It's what we're called to as Christ followers. And so we forgive. To the best of our ability, with the help of God, we forgive those who have hurt us. Because there is conflict in so many of our relationships, the hurt that we've experienced, the pain that we've experienced, and that which we give. And so I want to give you four practical thoughts here 
I heard this at a conference about 15 years ago with General Colin Powell, and then we're going to go back to God's Word for a second, but I think this is so important. I just couldn't get away from this thought this week because of so many of us that are in complicated relationships in some form. He said, in every relationship that has conflict, you can't stay there. So you've got conflict, right? You can't stay there. You're going to wear out all your resources. You're going to expend all your energy living in conflict. He said, so if you have two warring nations, eventually they run out of ammo. They run out of money. They run out of soldiers. You cannot stay in conflict. So you have to determine how do we move even one degree away from conflict? What is that next phase of the relationship? It's to just coexist. We haven't truly like made peace, but we've stopped fighting. And some of you in your marriage and in your family dynamic, this is what it looks like. You're just coexisting. It's not healthy. We're not talking about the things that need to be talked about. We're just kind of passing each other in the hallway of our home. Like we're not really talking to our coworker. Like we're just coexisting. It's like, I don't like them. They don't like me, but we're both getting paid. So we'll just keep doing this. Don't rock the boat. And we just coexist. We've moved away from conflict, but we haven't actually gotten to health. But if we want to continue to move towards the type of relationship that we need to be in with other people, then we move away from coexisting into what? Communicating. We got to start talking about the things that we need to talk about. And so we begin to communicate. We say, hey, here's some of the things that I've done that are wrong. And you allow them to say those same things. And sometimes it feels one-sided. They may not be going at the same pace you're going at, but you've got to start communicating. So this is like two warring nations that were at war. They were fighting one another. They stopped. They put the weapons down. There's a, there's a ceasefire for two days, four days. We're just coexisting. We're still looking at each other. We're still aimed at each other, but we're not doing anything. But eventually we're drawn to the, the table for a peace treaty. And we start talking about how to make peace. Like how do we make this thing happen? And there are a lot of countries around the world that have just made peace because they kind of came to the table and they started talking. They're not friends, but they did communicate and they came up with some terms that work. They're beyond coexisting into communication. They talk with one another. They work a little bit with one another, which moves us to that fourth thing where we begin to collaborate with one another. We actually go like, this is the kind of marriage that I want. This is kind of dating relationship that I want. This is the kind of family relationship with my kids or my parents that I'm looking for, my siblings, my coworkers, my friends. Like, I want something where we're working together. We're not just coexisting. We're not fighting all the time. Like, we're actually collaborating and doing life together and adding value to one another. And like, this is beneficial to everybody involved in the relationship. We have to collaborate with one another which leads us to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. It says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. I know sometimes our rejoicing feels like something we do on the backside of answered prayers, at the end of the solution, after we've made the peace treaty, after we've stopped fighting. But I'm here to tell you that, that rejoicing can happen on the front. It can happen in the beginning. It can happen before it's solved, before it's fixed, before it's healthy, before it's whole. Because happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is based on what's happening in your life right now. 
But joy is a work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And so the Holy Spirit of God can actually produce joy in the midst of external circumstances that aren't great. And so he says, finally, brothers and sisters, even in the midst of relationships that aren't healthy and whole right now, even in the midst of relationships that are still complicated, you can rejoice. And maybe that's the key to unlocking what you're looking for, that you would rejoice in advance. And then he says this, strive for full restoration. Strive for full reconciliation, that you would be restored back to all that you desire the relationship to be as you honor God and God draws and knits your hearts together. Strive for full restoration. I believe that God can restore and redeem and reconcile every complicated relationship in your life. It may take a supernatural work of God, but I believe he can do it. And then it says this, encourage one another. If you want to be reconciled, if you want to be restored, perhaps what you have to do is to begin encouraging one another. Like conflict is one thing. It's easy to fight. It's easy to keep score in your head. But 1 Corinthians 13 says that love keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil. It doesn't get excited about making the other person feel bad. If I love you on any level, I should be fighting for your joy. I should be fighting for you to be the best version that God called you to be, but I'm going to encourage that. I'm going to paint the God potential that exists on the inside of you because here's what you know. Here's what I know. There was something back there somewhere that you fell in love with. There was something on the inside of them that you liked. There was something on the inside of that other guy or that other girl or whatever that kind of lived in your dorm. It's like, man, I, I, I want to I be friends with that person. I want to hang out with them. I think they're awesome. I, I'd like for us to kind of do life together. Or you saw her across the room or you saw him across the room or you swiped right or whatever it was that you did. It was like, okay, all right, okay, all right. Like there was something that got your attention. But so often what happens is that then the circumstances of life rob us of those things and we stop encouraging the things that exist on the inside of them. We stop affirming those things. Now, when I was younger, I remember getting a paint-by-number workbook. I mean, don't look at me like that. I'm not saying I was like 17. I was like very, very young, okay? I was little, I am not artistic at all. It's kind of scary how not artistic I am. Kinley, I've already talked about you again. Kinley's very artistic. I am not, right? But I could do the paint by numbers thing. Why? Because everywhere I saw a 12, I just made it green. And everywhere I saw a seven, I just made it red. And everywhere I saw a three, I just made it blue. And it's like, you just kept doing that and kept doing that. And you got to the end and you're like, I am Van Gogh. Look at this. I mean, it's just like... Right? You just, I mean, it's like, I didn't even know I could do this because you've covered the numbers. Like, nobody knows. And I think what happens, like, you aren't responsible to make every other person in your life whole. Only God can do that. But you can paint some potential on the inside of them. You can call out the things that God has done in their life. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of who you are. You're the kindest person I know. You're You're beautiful. Like, man, you're so, you're smart. Like, I love how talented, I love how creative you are. Those are some of the things you can do. But like, I just, I love your character. I love that you stand with resolve against things that aren't right. And you just paint the potential, you just find a 12 and just paint it. I love that that exists 
in you. I've always loved that about you. Let me just tell you, if you start encouraging the people in your life, they will want to be around you. It's attractive. It's affirming. It's contagious. It feels like I love the way I feel when I'm around that guy. Like they just say nice things. They call out the things that I didn't know if anybody noticed. Encourage one another. Encourage the people that are in your life that God has called you to and given to you as a gift. And see if God doesn't restore and redeem and reconcile those relationships that might seem broken. Now here's this next phrase I love because it kind of gives you a little bit of a counterbalance, if you find yourself in a relationship that is toxic, it says this, it says, be of one mind. There are some people in your life that are not about the same things that you're about. There are some people that aren't just like hurting your feelings, they are harmful to you. Like the Bible says that like you should run away from abusive relationships, like it gives you an out people that are unfaithful to you. Like there are some caveats in scripture to some of these things. And so like, I'm not telling you to stay in something that is unhealthy for you. You gotta be of one mind. Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, he said, you're gonna get to some towns and some people won't listen to you. They're not about the same things that you're about. So how should you respond? Shake the dust off and keep moving. Like you just keep walking, you just go. Like what does shake the dust off means? Leave them in your trails. I'm out. We're not of the same mind. Now, there's amazing things that happen when we are of one mind and one accord and we are unified around what this can be. But if we're not of one mind, perhaps they're not trying to work for the same things that you're working for. And so then, if you put all these pieces together, you close with this idea that you can live in peace. You can live in peace. You can have peace in your relationships. You can have peace and joy in complicated relationships. You can work together to get out of conflict and to coexist and to begin to communicate and get to that place where you're actually collaborating towards this peace-filled home, peace-filled job, workplace. You can have peace. Live there. Scripture tells us that if it's up to you, as much as it depends on me, just live at peace with everyone. Try your best to be grace-filled and merciful and forgiving and loving and care. Like, do the best that you can to be that kind of person. Live in peace. Sometimes that's difficult in our own strength, right? That's difficult in our own power. But I love that last line. It says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The only way that you can love the people in your life is with the love of God. You receive the love of God, you give the love of God. The only way that you can live at peace with the people in your lives is with the peace of God. You receive the peace of God, you give the peace of God. And I love that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, it's not even something that we can truly grasp with our humanity and that it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You can have peace and love and joy Your relationships can be filled with hope. They're complicated, but they don't have to be. They don't have to be. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Just right where you're at, just bow your head, close your eyes for just a moment. If you'd say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I know that I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that I am a sinner in need of a savior. 
and I want him to forgive my sins and to be my Lord. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand? Nobody's looking around. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm gonna pray for you in just a moment. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I have at least one complicated relationship in my life that I need God to do a work. I, I don't know what it is yet. I don't know how he's gonna solve it and heal it and bring it to, but I've got at least one complicated relationship that just needs a miracle, just needs a touch of God. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Yeah, all day long, all day long. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you that you're a God who forgives. You're a God who heals. And so God, we pray now for every person that lifted their hand to say, I am a sinner in need of a savior. So God, we ask you to do that work that only you can do through the cross of Jesus Christ. And if that's you and you lifted your hand today, I'm gonna encourage you just to pray that for yourself. God, forgive my sins, be my Lord. We believe that when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he forgives you. So we celebrate with heaven for what you're deciding right now as you accept this free gift of salvation. And it's more than a prayer. You're invited into a relationship. God, we thank you now for those who are making that decision today. God, now I pray for every hand that was lifted that just says, I've got a complicated relationship and I need God to do something that only he can do. I've tried and I'm, I'm fine to go first. I'm fine to ask for forgiveness. I'm fine to give forgiveness. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking God's will. Lord, would you just do what only you can do? We believe that you're able. So I pray for every marriage that's on the rocks. I pray for every family relationship, moms and dads, sons and daughters, grandpas, in-laws, whoever it is, God, that you would just bring healing there, forgiveness where there's been hurt. God, just do a work. God, I pray for every job place, work site. God, would you just let those coworkers and the relationships that exist there be God-honoring and fulfilling to us. Every friendship. God, whatever it is that you can do to intervene in these circumstances, we ask you to do it. And we thank you now in advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.